Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Welcome back to the Lottery Podcast on Blue Wire Network. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. This week's episode is brought to you by Bet Online and Blue Chew. We're still in quarantine here. Looks like it's going to be a long ways to go before the NBA draft. I'm assuming it gets pushed back to August or September. Combine going to get pushed back. Draft lottery going to get pushed back. They're actually supposed to be, what, like next week or, or in two weeks from now. Um, so those are obviously not happening. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of time between now and the draft. I'm going to have a guest on next week. I didn't have one on this week. I don't want to get too repetitive with the same conversations over and over just with different people. There's going to be plenty of time um, to do that and, and for you guys to hear different perspective on different players. But I thought this would be a good week to have a, uh, a mailbag edition. I asked on Twitter if you guys had any questions, any topics you wanted addressed, and, and mostly brought up a lot of good uh, talking points, whether it was questions on individual prospects, on teams, on targets they should be looking at, on the scouting process in general. So I think we could have a, a pretty diverse conversation here um, and cover a lot of ground within the draft conversation. Just looking ahead, Nick, this upcoming week, I will have a new Top 50 Big Board. I just released a mock draft today. Um, not too many big changes. Um, I did do something different in the Top 5 if you want to check it out on Bleacher Report. But uh, let's get into some of the questions and topics you wanted addressed. I'll go down the list and I'll answer and cover every single one that was asked on Twitter. And by the way, thanks for the participation. You really just like every time I see people like asking questions and just it reminds me like people love the draft, you know, that, like me, like that's how I got into it because I've just like a love for scouting basketball, you know, from young age and picking out the guys who are going to be NBA players. Like people like love that stuff. So I just, uh, you know, it serves as a reminder to me that, that there is a lot of interest out there. Um, in the NBA draft and scouting in general. So anyway, all right, first question from ScoutFan3. Devin Vassell, comp for his ceiling. Vassell is a guy who has moved up my board, obviously, dramatically um, since last year. He was always a guy who, like, you know, you saw the potential, but there wasn't enough production behind it for you to feel super confident that he was going to be a good pro. Well, he made some pretty big you know, improvements this year, he's a, a 3 and D guy, but he improved his pull-up game 38% on pull-ups this year. Um, I still think he's more of a Trevor Ariza type um, in terms of his style and, and, and his fit in the NBA. Like, he's not going to be a guy you run offense through. And so if he goes to a good team and he can play to his strengths, I think he's got the chance to be, like, a, a top-tier role player um, the way Ariza was. Ariza was – I don't think he was ever an all-star – but he holds a lot of value in the league. He's obviously still here like 35 years later. Um, and so I think Ariza is the guy who jumps out in terms of a ceiling comparison. If he does improve a lot more on the ball um, or as a scorer, I think Chris Middleton is the guy who jumps out um, for Vassell. But um, I, I really like Vassell. He's, I think I'm at the point where he's close to number seven or six on my board. Uh, I just think he's such a sure thing. 
high floor guy. You know that his particular game is going to be valued in today's NBA. He's 19. He's young for a sophomore. He's a high character kid. Um, and and um, I, there's just not much to, to not like. Like, yeah, he's not the most creative guy off the dribble. But if he goes to the right team and he doesn't need to be that guy, um, I think he's going to get optimized by those around him. And again, we're going to see the shooting. We're going to see his unbelievable defensive instincts, instincts and ability to make those plays on and off the ball um, and, and guard a couple of positions. So uh, I'm really high on Vassell. Uh, Ariza, Middleton, those are guys that, that come to mind in terms of projecting him long term. Chris Cronister asks, which of these three prospects you leave would best fill a critical need for the Phoenix Suns with them needing defense and rim protection, shooting and playmaking? or offensive ISO creation, Sadiq Bey, Devin Vassell, or Jalen Smith. You know, like I just mentioned, I have Vassell top 10. So um, in a vacuum, I take Vassell, and every team could use shooting and defense, and that's what he brings to the table. Uh, however, it, you know, that's kind of what Mikael Bridges brings as well. Um, there's a little more repetition with that. So I'd still take Vassell of those guys um, and maybe play him play him bigger, play him at the four, because I think he's got enough size to do that. Uh, Jalen Smith, I like Jalen Smith more as a center than a power forward. I mean, I don't have him top 10. I think he's more of a really good value pick. I think he's someone who's going to last long term um, because of his shooting and shot blocking. Uh, I just don't know about him defending around the perimeter. That's what I question. Can him and can uh, Jalen Smith and DeAndre Ayton be a good enough defensive pairing in terms of switching um, and getting out in the perimeter? Sadiq Bey, I'm not as high on in terms of his defense. I think he's an excellent shooter, but I'm not sure anything else translates. I have him more as a guy in the mid to late first round. I wouldn't go with Bay after you just took Cam Johnson. Um, so I would still go with Vassell. Um, actually, if you want a sneaky pick for me um, at number 10 for Phoenix, which is where they're projected to go right now, Patrick Williams from Florida State, uh, Vassell's teammate. He's 6'8", 225 really powerful guy who probably projects better as a power forward than a small forward, even though he's shown some skills to play the three. Like he can handle the ball in pick and rolls, pass with his offhand, um, and and has really nice touch, a promising touch around the perimeter. Didn't make a ton of threes, but looked good when he did hit him. Um, shot nearly 40% on pull-ups. Um, and I think he's a guy who's just going to continue to get better based on what I saw from high school, what I saw um, this year at Florida State, and he's still 18 years old. So I'm really high on Patrick Williams. I think he's going to eventually outproduce his draft slot. I don't think he's going to go top 10, but if Phoenix took him at number 10, I'd be like, wow, that is a sneaky good pick. Jig, Jiggy YX1 asked LaMelo Knicks fit. Oh, man, I could talk about LaMelo and the Knicks all day. Um, yeah, he's obviously exactly what the Knicks need when you look at this draft. I don't think they need... Anthony Edwards, and if you see my upcoming big board, you'll be maybe a little surprised that I don't even have Edwards top two. Um, and he may even be one of the top two in production, but not in terms of impact. So if I'm the Knicks, LaMelo Ball is the guy I'm, I'm praying for in this draft. I mean, they desperately need a guy who can put pressure on defenses and excel at creating easy shots for teammates. Like the Knicks' offense is always so, you know, there's a lot of ISO ball, there's Julius Randle barreling into traffic, they need a guy who can create easy shots and make the game easier for the four of the guys on the team. And I think that's what you can bank on with LaMelo Ball. Like, it's funny because his reputation is almost like showboat, but actually LaMelo Ball's core strength, his bread and butter, the thing he's going to be valued most for, is creating good looks for other guys, making the game easier for everybody else. So, um, uh, you know, I love that 
for the Knicks, for, for the Knicks to get a guy like LaMelo. However, if you're LaMelo, um, of course you're going to like the spotlight in New York. You're going to like the, you know, the marketing opportunities and, and all the attention. And, uh, of course, it's kind of a win-win. Like, if, if he goes to New York and they stink, it's not going to be his fault. Um, however, if he goes to New York and suddenly he helps turn them around, he's going to look like a savior. Uh, but, of course, if you're LaMelo, I think ideally you want to go to a team that has scores around you, shooters and scores, right? LaMelo shot 25% from downtown this year. You're going to want to put some shooters around him, and the Knicks can't really do that, um, and they can't really put scores around him. This year, um, with the Illawarra Hawks um, in the NBL, he was on the league's worst team, um, which led to him shooting 37% from the floor and, of course, 25% from three. So he wasn't very efficient carrying a workload. Um, so I think naturally, you know, as a as a 18-, 19-year-old point guard, you don't want to be – you don't want to have such a heavy usage and such major responsibility early. You want to be able to go play to your strengths. And he wasn't really able to do that with the Hawks, which is why he shot so poorly from the field. And he wouldn't be able to do that with the Knicks, um, assuming that they don't make any crazy trades or, or uh, sign any big-time free agents. So, again, love it for the Knicks long-term. And you'd hope that if they were able to get LaMelo, that Leon Rose could make the right moves and, and put some guys around him sooner rather than later. But if you're LaMelo... There are obviously some question marks about your initial development uh, and how your rookie and sophomore season is going to go on a team like the Knicks. Rami Nose asks, hypothetical, could the Wizards offload John Wall's contract if they landed in the top three in the lottery? <laughs> um, I don't think they would do that. I, I, I really think that the Wizards like truly love John Wall, not just... I, I mean, more as like, all, like a person also. Like he's, he's a good guy. He's done a lot for the community in Washington. Um, I think John wants to stay there. I, don't, I haven't heard anything that says that he wants to get traded. It's obviously going to be tough to get rid of that contract. And uh, If they get a top three pick, they're going to want that pick. Um, they need young talent. I mean, Rui was, is a nice player. I don't think he's like a game changer. And I think you actually have to really put specific guys around him to optimize him because of his defensive question marks um, and, and his you know shooting question marks. So I don't think it's a real possibility that they can offload it, that they even want to try and offload it um, and upset John Wall. I think they really expect John Wall to be part of the franchise. Even if he's not a 30-minute guy and a 2010 guy anymore, um, I expect John Wall to be with the Wizards for most of the rest of his contract. Um, and they would be really excited about using a top three pick on one of the players, even if it was a point guard. Like if they had the opportunity to, to take LaMelo Ball, I, mean, I think they would. And they kind of figure out how it'll work later with Beal and Wall. But they just need to stockpile talent. Um, and I really don't think that they're going to be uh, trying to do too much to upset John Wall and get rid of his contract. Unless, of course, an amazing offer comes around and they, and they can't turn it down. But um, that seems just too unlikely. Good question here from Nibi Afan, the G-Leaguer. Um, sort of a team-specific, but I've heard you mention that Edwards could be a 25-point score but, not, but might not lead... Too much team success. Is your outlook any different if he goes to a team like the Atlanta Hawks who already have a number one scoring option? Yes, my outlook is different. I think it's as simple as the better team that Anthony Edwards goes to, the better off for Anthony Edwards. You know, the, the less responsibility he has early, the better. Um, again, the more he could play to his strengths, the, the more his shot selection will naturally have to tighten. Like Atlanta's a good example, but let's go to let's take it to the extreme with Golden State. Goes to Golden State, he's not going to have the opportunity to dance with the ball and, and pull up, you know, after 14 seconds of, of dominating the shot clock. You know, he, he's going to have to be more reactionary. He's going to have to make quicker decisions, 
more catch and shoot, uh, more attack in the straight lines. Um, and so, yeah, so if he goes to Atlanta, I, I think that would, that would be good for Anthony Edwards. I actually think he's a pretty good fit there. Um, and, of course, he would take some pressure off Trey Young, and Trey Young, vice versa, would take some pressure off Anthony Edwards. So, yeah, my outlook would be different. I think the better the team that Edwards goes to, the more I like him. And that's why I always say, like, we should redo our big boards after the draft because depending on where a prospect goes, suddenly he could rise on your board. Like, if I liked Mohamed Bamba after um, his draft, but I would have dropped him on my board had I known he was going to the Orlando Magic, playing behind Vucevic, knowing he'd never really get an opportunity. So, yeah, my outlook will totally change if Edwards goes to a good team or a team that has other scoring options where he doesn't have to you know, be force-fed the ball early and we don't have to see um, the worst Edwards, which is dribble, 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 pull-up. At Dulo Twist asks potential Warriors prospects for their second-round picks. I mean, you know, it's so tough to say without knowing who's going to be on the board. Um, and, you know, good, like a really good team like the Warriors who are going to be next year, what are they looking for? Probably shooters or defenders. Um, shooters, you know, uh, Emmanuel quickly makes sense. Uh, John Petty from Alabama is a guy who I think has moved up my board and makes sense. Of course, Desmond Bain from TCU, I've talked about a lot in this podcast, um, as a guy who passes, shoots, high defensive IQ would be an absolute steal. I have him... Uh, closer to number 30 on my board. So uh, he'd make a lot of sense. Xavier Tillman, to me, is like a um, a defensive role player who's going to stick from day one till year 10. I think he makes a lot of sense on a good team and a safe pick. Elijah Hughes from, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse, um, I think, is a sneaky guy who's moving up boards. 6'6", knockdown uh, shooter, a, a good athlete, moves around really well. Um, I think he'd make sense on a team where he doesn't have to do too much ball handling. Um, so those guys kind of stick out. Malachi Flynn, I don't think he's going to be there that late, although I do have seen him you know, ranked in the 40s and 50s by some. I have him in the 20s, but uh, it, that's why it's really tough to pinpoint you know, who they should take without knowing who's going to be on the board, but those are the names that stick out uh, for a good team like the Warriors with their second-round picks. F. Reed asks, is it fair to say the teams draft strictly on potential and rarely take into account accomplishments? Teams and draft folks seem to put more of an emphasis on a guy's age than what he's accomplished. Yeah, of course. The idea is drafting long-term potential. However, it's not black and white. And, and there are 30 teams out there, and, and some of them have different mindsets than others. Like, you know, it always brings me back to the draft of Buddy Heald going six and Jamal Murray going seven. Two players who are play the same exact position. One guy is 23. He's like a college basketball player of the year. Averaged 25 a game. Um, and the other is Jamal Murray. played one year at Kentucky. Um, and they took the guy who was more accomplished um, over the guy who had more potential. Uh, you know, Cam Johnson, this past draft, was 23 years old when he got picked, um, had the best shooting season in North Carolina history. I'd say that's an accomplishment. He went number 11 overall um, ahead of, you know, P.J. Washington and Tyler Hero, who are much younger guys who obviously have but higher ceilings. Um, so, yeah, teams want to draft long-term, but if there's always one team out there who says, okay, I'm going to bank on um, the high floor, the high likelihood I know what's going to carry over. Like, when New Orleans took Heald over Murray, they were probably thinking that, like, okay, I, I don't know what Murray is going to be like. I don't know really where he's going to plateau, but I feel pretty damn confident that Heald's going to be a big-time shot maker in the NBA, and I'm going to value my high confidence in that over a little bit more uncertainty with a 19-year-old. 
And I'm guessing last year, same thing happened with the Suns. They like, okay, I know that Cam Johnson is going to be a big-time shooter in the NBA. I valued my confidence in his shooting ability over a question mark like, well, how well will Tyler uh, Hero's game translate without length and athleticism? You know that? So, yeah, teams are most teams are looking at long-term potential, but there's always a couple who uh, just want to uh, draft or value a guy's floor. Devin Wong asked, should best player available strategy be replaced by player you'd want to start a franchise with? Big O might be best player available at some point, but some would say Tyrell Terry would be somebody you'd rather start a franchise with. Well, I don't think people are as high on Tyrell Terry as you are, Devin. Um, I actually really like Tyrell Terry. I don't think he's in the conversation with guys you'd want to start a franchise around. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure what the difference is between best player available versus guy you want to start a franchise with. I think they're pretty damn similar. Um, and I do love Big O. Okongu, I have, I think I have him, uh, and I might end up keeping here at number three overall. I mean, I love Okongu, but it really comes down to the question of can Okongu maximize his potential with the roster that you already have? Like if he goes to, like say the Knicks who have Mitchell Robinson, and I'm assuming that the Knicks are prioritizing Mitchell Robinson's development. Well, can Okongu maximize his develop, maximize his potential alongside Robinson, or, or if he goes to you know to, to the Atlanta Hawks, can Okongu maximize his potential with Clint Capella? Can Okongu maximize his potential with Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota? So you want to take the best player available, but you want to make sure that he can become the best player available based on the guys you have on the roster. Can you provide that player with the proper setting for him to maximize his potential? Anyway, Tyrell Terry. Listen, he's 6'1", 160, and can't jump over a puddle. Um, and I think that's why teams have question marks with him. I have talked to scouts who do like him, but not to the point where like they think he's best player available in, in the top five or so. Um, I have him in the mid-first round on my board, somewhere in that 15 to 18 range. Um, but I note that there are some who have him as a second rounder. Uh, so he's, uh, this, uh, opinions vary on Tyrell Terry. Um, but uh, he's somebody in this draft that like is just missing you know, star power. That you, I think it's okay to take a gamble on him um, earlier than than what some of the projections may say. Matthew Miranda asks, um, "Where innovations or advances in metrics are thinking that the draft analysts today um, think give them an edge over, say, ten years ago?" I mean, it. Uh, when I started in this, I didn't have access to Synergy Sports, and teams have like a lot more advanced stuff than Synergy Sports, and like scientists working for them, um, but. You know, when I, I'll never forget my first scouting report in NBADraft.net. You know, I was like, he's good at the rim. Um, he can make pull-ups. But now you have, like, exact precise numbers. And not only the numbers, but, you know, you can click on um, Cole Anthony pick-and-roll passes or Cole Anthony pick-and-roll possessions where it only passes to spot-up shooters. And it'll just play every single one of those type of possessions. I mean, so you can really... Um, see every type of, it filters out every type of play you want to see, both the good and the bad. I mean, you could also type in uh, or click, you know, Cole Anthony misses on floaters. Um, so you could see, is it more of touch? Is it more of he took the wrong angle? Um, and so that's where you really have uh, an edge over 10 years ago. Um, and, and now for guys like me who don't work for a team and I'm more of a, a what they call a media scout now, um, I have access to Synergy Sports. I wouldn't have had that um, seven years ago. So uh, stuff like that certainly gives me an edge. Of course, I still think it's, there's more value in watching the full games. And also in Synergy, you get every game you want. You can watch a full game, um, whether it's like, you know, Northwestern um, or, or Kansas. 
So um, you can get any game you want, full game, um, and that's the more valuable thing if you have the time to do that. Um, suddenly, with this whole quarantine situation, uh, I, I've watched like an absurd amount of full games, uh, obviously more than I ever have uh, while doing the scouting. And, and there's only so much, you know, you can't, uh, an individual can't watch every team in the country, every game they play during the season. It's just not possibility. That's why NBA teams have like seven scouts and they're each assigned to a different region because you can't realistically expect one scout to cover 350 schools and every player um, from each school. So yeah, Synergy is uh, to me such an important tool in the scouting world. I'm the one that I didn't have back then that I do have now and I totally think it's helped me uh, and, and made it clear for me um, in terms of uh, projecting and, and assessing strengths and weaknesses. Mike Garcia asks, where would the top three picks from last year go in this draft? I think it's pretty easy. Zion goes one again. John Morant goes two again. And then it's, what do we do with R.J. Barrett? I'll take LaMelo Ball over R.J. Barrett for sure. Um, a little sneak peek on my upcoming board. I've moved Killian Hayes up to number two. Um, and I would take Killian Hayes, point guard from, Ger- from uh, France, who's playing in Germany, over Barrett. I would take Anthony Edwards over Barrett. Um, and then I think that this is where Barrett kind of falls into that next tier of this particular draft, which really kind of says something about this particular draft. Uh, Okongu and Barrett, I'd pr- honestly, I'd probably take Okongu. Um, but, of course, it depends on fit. You know, if a team already had a center, I wouldn't take Okongu. Um, I think Barrett kind of falls into the same tier with Cole Anthony and Obi Toppin and Tyrese Maxey and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, fit will play a big role and who I like more. Um, but that's kind of where I see Barrett in this draft after LaMelo, after Anthony Edwards, after Okongu, after Killian Hayes. Those guys I have as my top four. Um, Denny Dia is another guy who is really tough to say. I put him also in that same tier as Barrett, but uh, without getting too specific, and I know you probably want me to be more specific, but yeah, that's the tier where I'd see Barrett going, starting probably somewhere at number five overall for me. LPZ wants to know what LaMelo's fit is like in Golden State, I like it. I mean, he's not going to put up a lot of numbers if LaMelo goes to Golden State. But I've said this before. Like, just imagine LaMelo bringing the ball up in transition or pick and rolls and having Steph to the left and Clay to the right. I mean, I really don't think positions matter too much in Golden State. I mean, I think you, you could honestly play like Andrew Wiggins at the four and Draymond at the five and play um, a one, two, three with LaMelo, Steph, and Clay. And um, like I said, I think every prospect for their development, should hope to go to Golden State. And also remember, Curry's getting up there. What is he, in his low 30s? He's going to plateau eventually. Like By the time Steph Curry plateaus, like in his mid-30s, it's going to be time for LaMelo to kind of step up, get his second contract. So I think LaMelo helps immediately with his passing. Um, he won't be put in a, a spot where he has to do too much, too much dribbling and shooting. Um, and then eventually, once Steph Curry is ready to kind of hit a wall, uh, that's when you give LaMelo a little bit more responsibility. I, actually, the more I think about it, I love LaMelo in Golden State. I mean, LaMelo has to be okay with not putting up, you know, 17-7-7 seven and seven like he did this past year with the Hawks. Um, so uh, it's more about the long-term projection, and then even in the short term, he really gets to just play to his strengths, move the ball in transition, you know, find guys and pick and rolls. You have two of the best shooters on the planet to your left and right, um, plus a, a good defensive team to mask his defensive question marks. So... Um, I mean, every time I've projected or I've talked about like LaMelo or done a mock draft and done LaMelo to Golden State, there's always somebody out there who's like, oh, they already have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Like, who cares? 
that that's even better for Lamelo that he's got those two guys to play alongside uh, to have those not just in terms of their basketball skill sets but their minds and to play for a coach like Steve Kerr. I mean, what could be better for a young player, regardless of if he plays the same position as Steph Curry? And also, I don't. I think he could play a little off the ball. He's six foot seven. He seems to get bigger every game we watch him, and uh, he shot a decent percentage shooting off the catch this past season. So um, I love the fit. I don't think they're going to take him at number one. Um, I think they're certainly going to entertain draft calls because I think they're going to be uh, trade calls because I think they're going to be teams looking to trade up to get Lamella Ball. But uh, so I don't think it ends up happening. But um, I do like his fit there. Uh, OGSG Justified JS uh, best value in the twenty-two to thirty range. Grant Riller from Charleston. Um, I mean, I've moved him up to fifteen on my board. Um, the more I watched him, and uh, I don't even know if he goes twenty. He might go in the forties. Um, so I, I, his draft range is crazy, crazy uh, wide. If you have not watched Grant Riller. Like he's 23, he's the that's going to be one of the reasons why he falls in the draft. But he is so good. I mean, it's hard to really find any reasons other than age of why he's not going to be one of the one of the top 20 players of this draft. I think if he goes 20 to 30, he is uh, the obvious value pick of this draft. Ridiculous high level creator, a high level shot maker, not super explosive, but one of the best finishing guards in this draft. High IQ guy, down to earth. If you ever hear him talk, he like totally gets it. Um, I think he's going to be a big time scoring guard and going to be one of the steals of the draft. Just like just like we said last year with Brandon Clark, like we knew Brandon Clark wasn't going to go probably top eight, but he's going to end up being one of the best value picks of the draft. Same thing with Grant Riller. He's going to be one of the older guys who outproduces his draft slot, and his draft slot's only going to be low because of how old he is. Uh, OGSG also asked top three ranked point guards: Lamella Ball one, Killian Hayes two. Um, and I'm kind of split between Cole Anthony and Tyrese Halliburton. I really think it matters. It depends on who goes where. Like Halliburton, if Halliburton goes to the Hawks, then I'll take Halliburton. I, I don't think he's ideal as a lead. In the, like I compare Halliburton to Lonzo Ball. Where you put Lonzo Ball in LA, where he's got to make a lot of decisions, or he's your lead guard. I mean, I guess maybe that's a bad example because LeBron was there. But I love I love Lonzo Ball next to Drew Holiday. Like I love I love Halliburton next to next to uh, Trey Young. But I don't like Halliburton if he's the only guard in your backcourt and he's going to be dominating the ball because he just doesn't have enough jets to blow by guys. Uh, but he's such a he's a great spot-up shooter, a high-level passer. If he could play to those strengths, um, then I think he's going to be the better player. Cole Anthony, I think, is somebody who's going to put up more stats um, and uh, a better passer than his um, assist-to-turnover ratio suggests. North Carolina played two bigs. Um, there is no spacing. They're ranked 350 in the country in three-point shooting. So it was a really bad position for Cole Anthony. I think he, if he, like, he reminds me of, of Cam Reddish in terms of he's going to slip in the draft because of an inefficient year after a strange fit in college. Um, and so I think Cole Anthony is going to slip and end up telling, reminding guys like, oh, wow, he was actually a top three pick, projected top three pick for a reason. So those are my top three to four. And I think with, again, just to repeat myself, Cole and Halliburton, it really depends on where they end up going. Last question from OGSG. Who do you think the Knicks drafted six? Or at one, I think at one, Lamella Ball at six. I mean, of course, it depends on who's on the board. Uh, but my mock draft that just released today, I have them taking Obi Toppin at six. He wouldn't be my pick, um, but if I'm just trying to trying to picture what Leon Rose would do, I think there is some star power tied to Toppin, um, and uh, I think the Knicks kind of need that, and, and they need a sure thing. Um, and I think Killian Hayes is, you know, I have number two. 
teams are split on whether Killian Hayes is more of like a Shane Larkin type player or if he's a star NBA point guard. I compare him to D'Lo um, or Goran Dragic. Um, and so, I don't know, I'm just using like the in-between, um, between those projections of, of Larkin and D'Lo. Uh, I, I think the Knicks would, would pass on Hayes for more of a sure thing in Toppin, who I think they could feel good about being like a John Collins at the very least. I think they know that Julius Randle is not the answer. So don't say, oh, why would they take Toppin if they already have Julius Randle? I mean, Randle is not a long-term option. Steve Mills is gone. Um, and this is probably going to be Scott Perry's last year. Before we move on, a shout-out to Blue Chew. This is for the boys out there. Guys looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first-ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. And with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, but you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day, all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today. You'll receive a new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, next question from Hink about sports. How do you think not having a summer league um, or fall winter league will affect the potential undrafted guys from getting a shot at a two-way or training camp invite? How will it affect the guys coming in who are expected to make an impact right away not having the opportunity to get some reps? I'm not so worried about that part, about guys not being able to get reps, um, although it definitely helps. Um, so, you know, maybe the rookies start off a little slower next year. So, I mean, that is a good point. A great question um, with your initial point. How does not having a summer league affect the potential undrafted guys from getting a shot at a two-way or training camp invite? Um, yeah, I mean, how could that not have an impact? Um, teams, every year we see guys have good summer leagues, um, and that impacts whether they get an invite to training camp. It impacts whether they make the roster. Like Duncan Robinson last year, Duncan Robinson, Duncan Robinson turned into one of the best shooters in the league last year, got himself a guaranteed contract because of how well he played in summer league. So this, it does not help some of these young guys trying to prove themselves, some of these guys trying to create a career, trying to, trying to make a team. Um, I mean, there's so many negative impact, so much negative impact from this whole coronavirus thing. Um, and this one hasn't really been talked about. So that is a great question. Um, man, it's hard to even answer like what what's going to happen because I don't know what's going to happen, but it certainly does not help. Uh, and it works against these guys who are trying to prove themselves um, and, and show that they were undervalued in the draft and that they slipped through the cracks because that happens every year. I mean, Alonzo Trier earned him, went undrafted and he earned himself a guaranteed contract in summer league and in training camp, um, but particularly summer league. Um, so to not have that, yeah, that, uh, that hurts. That means they're going to have to do it in the G League if they can 
you know, get the G League playing time and they can earn it through practices and stuff. But yeah, good question and uh, something that probably should be talked about a little bit more. Our interesting question from Envergure, and apologies for that embarrassing um, French pronunciation, but he asked if what top 20 prospects um, could not hit their potential because of psychological or behavioral issues. Well, I'm not a doctor, so I can't, I'm not diagnosing anybody. And from what I gather, there's nothing wrong with any of the guys I'm about to mention. But I think it's okay for me to give you some of my observations on behavioral stuff that I think could impact some of these guys. And I've kind of repeated, I've said this before in the podcast with Anthony Edwards. I question how seriously he takes winning and, and leadership. I, he doesn't come off to me as, uh, as, as a leader. Um, he's fun. Listen to him talk. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, there's a lot of fun vibes that go on with him. Um, and there's nothing wrong with showboating, which he likes to do. And he likes to dance after, you know, making a big dunk. Uh, and he talks to the crowd a lot, you know, when he's feeling himself and, and making shots. Um, but I've seen high school games where, you know, he wasn't getting the ball and he kind of just stands there and doesn't doesn't care. Um, and sometimes he's been very passive at Georgia if the team's losing. And, and if the team is losing, he's, he can either be passive or, like, overly aggressive where he takes any shot he wants. Um, and, you know, you could tell on social media, you know, he's always feeling himself. He's always trying to, you know, he's always talking about being the potential number one overall pick or, or retweeting that type of stuff um, anytime he sees his name tied to number one overall pick. Um, sometimes I get a little nervous with guys who do that, um, who, you know, act like you've been there before, that type of stuff, and he doesn't always do that. But he's also 18 years old. It's tough to be too critical. But he doesn't really come off, you know, his leadership qualities don't exactly pop. Um, so that's one question mark I have about Edwards. Jaden McDaniels is a guy, another guy from Washington. Nothing wrong with Jaden McDaniels. Great kid. Um, just sometimes doesn't, a little bit casual, doesn't really show a good feel um, um, on the floor for how to use his particular high skill level and skill set to impact winning. Kind of a low basketball IQ in terms of, you know, when to go to my step back jumper, when to, when to put the ball on the floor and attack and, and kind of showcase my game a little bit. Um, somebody who could put up numbers, but not efficiently, and, and not somebody who's going to elevate your offense. Um, and another guy who I've just seen so many times over the last couple of years, dating back to high school, where like he looks amazing in warmups, and then you you know th- the game's in the fourth quarter, and like you forgot he's on the team. Um, so question marks with Jaden McDaniel's um, being both passive um, and maybe overly casual. And same thing with James James Wiseman. He, I mean, he's taken taken a lot of criticism. Um, heading into Memphis for being for not having a high motor, uh, for not playing hard or going all out on every single possession. Um, you know, you saw him in that Oregon game, which is the only game really worth scouting this year versus an actual team. Um, and he picked up two fouls, really no emotion. Um, he's just an overly casual. There are some guys who that's okay, you know, being, being uh, overly casual, and some guys who you kind of just wish that they showed a little bit more passion. Um, and play with a little bit more life in them. And Wiseman doesn't always do that. So those three guys come to mind um, in terms of behavioral. Not anything psychological. And again, I'm not any doctor here. I'm not diagnosing any of these guys with anything. But just from watching them, watching the way that they operate, um, there are some question marks with uh, whether they can maximize their potential um, and have their talent translate to impact. C.T. Fazio asked top five wing prospects. Um, let's go Anthony Edwards, one. I have Devin Vassell, two. Denny Avdia, three. Um, I'm not going to consider Tyrese Maxey a wing. He's more of a guard. 
Um, and I'm going to say the same thing about R.J. Hampton, although I put R.J. Hampton, I guess you could use R.J. Hampton as a wing. Um, and then my next would be Sadiq Bey, who's very close with uh, Aaron Naismith um, from Vanderbilt. But Sadiq Bey, I'd probably go with bigger, six eight. Um, both Naismith and Bay are, are elite shooters, the two best shooters in this draft. But Bay is a little more versatile uh, with his ball handling and ability to, to play make. Naismith had 13 assists in 500 minutes, um, and Bay ranked in the 88th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler and averaged uh, almost three assists per game. <laughs> I though, asked if the 2021 draft class was available. If the 2021 class was available in this draft, who would be taking the one spot in front of the Knicks? The easy answer is whoever the best player from the draft is going to be. <laughs> it feels like that's always uh, that's, that's a common theme with Knicks drafts. They always miss out on whether it was Steph Curry or, or Westbrook. Um, always, always just miss out on that top guy. Um, Kate Cunningham, of course, is my uh, is my top prospect for next year, followed by Jalen Green, will be playing in the G League. So one of those two guys will probably go just before the Knicks are on the clock. Nick Alexander asks, who are the three best three-level scorers in the draft? Um, I mean, I guess Anthony Edwards is considered a three-level scorer. Um, Cole Anthony, to me, is right there in that conversation. Killian Hayes, I would put there, but right now he's not a good three-point shooter, so he doesn't have that third level yet. I'm projecting him to be good enough to complement his really solid in-between game with his mid-range jumper, floater, finishing package. I mean, excellent passing, but he's got to get the three ball to be considered a a three-level score. Um, Tyrese Maxey, I think that would be my answer. I'm I'm not jumping off Tyrese Maxey's bandwagon. I think he's going to be a much better pro than he was College player, I think his shooting numbers are going to improve over time. Um, and then Grant Riller, who I talked about earlier, um, is totally a, a three-level scorer. And, and, again, somebody I think is going to be one of the best value picks in this draft. Um, you also asked Nick Alexander, which player fits the best around R.J. Barrett and Mitch Robinson if Knicks choose to build with them? Um, I mean, LaMelo, just because he's the best player available, and I think he's going to be able to make both of those guys better. Um, Killing Hayes same thing I guess at the same time the Knicks do need a shooter so I mean it's really tough for me because those two guys need to improve their shooting um so if you throw that out the window um guys who fit best I mean Devin Vassell Vassell is three and D I think the Knicks you know as good as Mitchell Robinson is a shot blocker he could still stand to improve his defense and staying out of foul troubles. You know, shot blocking doesn't always necessarily translate to impact defense um and Barrett needs shooters around him um, so Vassell is a guy who I think is, again, just such a solid pick. I'd be surprised if the Knicks went up and got him at number six overall, if that's where they end up picking. But uh, he makes sense to me. And um, and Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton is a guy who I just, I think he's a good fit for a, a lot of teams. May not be a superstar, but there are not a lot of superstars in this draft. Um, and Halliburton is a very good fit on the Knicks. Uh, the question is, how high do you take Halliburton? Um, I, if the Knicks took Halliburton at six, I wouldn't criticize him. I'd give him a fine draft grade because I think he's a sure thing to be a good NBA player, just not a sure thing to be a great NBA player. But with Halliburton, you get an excellent passer and an excellent spot-up shooter, and I think both of those, the more I think about it, Halliburton is probably the answer to your question, Nick. Uh, Nick D. Nick asks, what, what is Tyrell Terry's upside? He looks like he could be a starter. He definitely could be a starter. Um, I don't really have a good comparison for him. Um, let's see. Again, he's 6'1", 160, doesn't really jump. He's like the poorest man, Steph Curry, 
ever. He's really, really slick with his skill level as a passer, a versatile shot maker, shot 90% from the free throw line, um, 40% from downtown. So he's got like elite skill level just with zero athletic plus athletic or physical traits. So I think he could be a starter. And, you know, we've seen in the past, you don't need to be super athletic um, for a point guard. Like the best in the game aren't, you know, dunkers. I know everyone wants to be the next Westbrook, but reality is if you have a really, really high skill level in basketball IQ, that translates. Um, and I think that Terry has both a really, really high skill level for his age. Um, you know, the big question is, is he quick enough to, and long enough to separate from his guy? That's my question mark, but to me, he's a value pick anywhere outside this lottery. Um, the mock draft I have today, just using people's opinions, like because not, not everyone is sold on Terry. I have him going 27 to the Knicks. I think he'd be ideal for the Knicks um, and to steal that late. Um, we'll see if, if he ends up going that. I think he would help himself if there was a pre-draft process. Teams might be able to see him in workouts and see just how skilled he is, but there probably won't be a pre-draft process, which is why I think he could go in the 20s. But yeah, definitely a starting caliber prospect. Um, and then uh, Ray Legend 39, what's LaMelo's upside? I mean, I think LaMelo has the highest upside in the draft. Um, he's like a mix of, you know, Trey Young, but 6'7", you know, Jason Williams. Uh, Penny Hardaway is the is a popular name just because he's a 6'7 point guard with scoring upside. Um, yeah, I think he's got the chance to be an all-star if he can become good enough or, or, or consistent enough with his pull-up game. Um, otherwise, I think he's going to be a good finisher. He's got a great flutter game. I think he's creative enough off the dribble. I think he's uh, obviously a spectacular passer, somebody who can average over eight assists per game. The question is efficiency, um, and that's going to come down to how good he is with that jump shot. So if his shot continues to improve, and I think that there's good enough reason to think it may not be a 40% three ball, but to get to 35% on volume, I mean, I think that takes him to all-star games. Jeff Van Money asked, uh, Leandro Balmaro or Teo Maladon? Um, I'm going Balmaro. I mean, I think there's more there's more excitement to his game. Um, Maladon is probably high, is, is maybe more of the safer play because it's easier to just picture a 6'3 guard. He can make set shots. He can run an offense. Um, but, but Balmaro has the upside. Like, he is a 6'7 playmaker. Really good ball handler, um, creative off the dribble, flashy passer. And, um, you know, he's only playing in, like, Spain's third division, but he's making 1.43s per game, so he's showing the shot-making ability. Um, I actually moved him. He's top 20 for me. Um, Maldon I have right behind him in, like, 22. But I think if I had to pick, there's a little more upside. I mean, I'd rather gamble on Balmaro than, than Maldon, who's a fine prospect, but just it's hard to see any real star qualities or upside tied to him. Um, Nickety Nick, would James Wiseman be presumptive number one without the college drama? Um, no. I mean, I think there are enough teams that have question marks about Wiseman. Again, it depends on who gets the pick, and the opinions vary so much on Wiseman. Um, but I certainly, I mean, I have Wiseman at number nine overall. Um, and I know some, I've talked to some guy, some scouting departments where they'll say, like, there's a guy on my staff who hasn't been away first round. Um, yeah, he's 7 1 2 wingspan. Athletic, but that doesn't really matter as much in today's NBA if you can't shoot, pass, or defend, you know, around the perimeter. So I don't think he's the presumptive number one. I think it would be possible he went number one if he didn't play any games this year at Memphis. I think it's possible he goes number one now, but it really just depends on who gets the pick because uh, the eye—it's 
eye of the beholder, and, and um, there's a lot of different opinions on Wiseman. Uh, do you think R.J. Barrett is best suited to play small forward? Yeah, yeah, I like him as like a like a small like Jalen Rose, like play him a small forward, but also give him enough reps to to handle the ball in pick and roll uh, pick and roll situations. Uh, P.D. Webb, likely second round pick with the highest ceiling. I mean, of course, Pokusevsky is a guy who uh, everyone talks about w- with his high ceiling and his draft range is you know somebody could be sneaky and take him in the lottery. He could also fall into the early 30s. He jumps out for a seven-foot size, shooting fluidity, passing instinct, shot blocking, um, but a more realistic option to be there in the second round. How about C.J. Ellaby from Washington State? 6'7", shooter, scorer, creator, um, not a big-time athlete, but very skilled, super productive at Washington State. His playmaking numbers went down this year as his scoring usage kind of went up, but I think he may be undervalued. Um, go back and watch C.J. Ellaby tape. Uh, he's a really good scorer with six seven size, the ability to create his own shot, shooting range, um, and I think untapped playmaking potential that kind of went masked this past year. Um, and also Elijah Hughes from Syracuse, who I mentioned earlier, but you see his body. I mean, he's got an NBA body, deep, confident shooting range, uh, shoot off the dribble, off the catch, um, good passer. A lot of guys put up big uh, defensive stats in Syracuse's zone. He did it as well. Um, so uh, I, I think if man he's he's somebody who um I was I went to Syracuse so I've tried not to have bias on Syracuse guys and I'm always like lower on Syracuse guys just because I don't want people to to think that I'm rooting for them but there's also a lot of most Syracuse guys like always underwhelm when they get to the NBA I think Jeremy Grant is probably the best Syracuse guy to make the NBA since Carmelo like it's crazy how bad the Syracuse guys turn out to be in the NBA so I'm I'm also hesitant about that. But, um, yeah, Elijah Hughes, who transferred um, to Syracuse, yeah. I mean, look at his physical profile and his particular skills. I mean, he, th- he checks an interesting um, set of boxes with his shot-making, physical tools, athleticism, passing, and defensive playmaking. So he's a, he could be um, a sneaky pick. And also Mason Jones from Arkansas, who led the SEC in scoring. Um, you know, he's not a big-time athlete. But he is some scorer, a big-time shot maker, uh, much improved creator, um, you know, number one overall option. Obviously, he led the SEC in scoring, and uh, he's a guy who, you know, sometimes like athleticism isn't everything. And I don't know if he's going to be like a big-time NBA scorer, but I could easily see him being a steal um, in the second round. And also, Killian Tilly, Killian Tilly, of course, injuries has played such a big role in his projection. But another guy who just checks the right boxes: shooting, passing. I think he moves his feet well enough defensively and, and compensates with really strong defensive IQ. Um, and uh, if he stays healthy and gets the right fit, I think he's going to be a steal as well. If we're looking at some of the point cards going in the second round in terms of upside, first of all, I also love Saban Lee from Vanderbilt. I think he's going to go in the second round if he, if he does get picked. Um, I know uh, you, maybe you asked one guy, and I'm now mentioning like six, but it's just um, names are popping into my head. I might as well just start. Uh, releasing them. A couple guys, Jared Butler, um, I, I really like. Saban Lee, I, I really like. It's just an NBA player, maybe not a star, but man, he puts some serious pressure on the rim. At 24 dunks this year, he's just six foot two. Only two other guys uh, under 6'3 had more dunks um, than Saban Lee, who had some really nice flashes of playmaking and shooting that are not considered strengths of his, but but we could find out that they're better than advertised. Um, and, and Jared Butler, somebody who is uh, very crafty, creating off the dribble, shooting off the dribble, um, 
and he doesn't really fit uh, an exact window. He's a little bit small for a point guard, uh, not a little bit small for a two guard, and not really a point guard's mentality, but somebody who could be a sneaky upside pick. Um, and so, yeah, uh, John Petty, another guy who I just mentioned before, big-time shot maker, shooter, uh, much improved off the dribble this year. Um, just uh, There's going to be a lot of sneaky second-round picks. Um, who has the most upside? I mean, honestly, I'd, it's really anybody's guess. Nathaniel Miller, what's up, man? Um, how much can you expect a player to improve in each area, free throw line at the rim from mid-range behind the arc of their benchmarks to focus on in each area? And do you have a favorite prospect that you expect to improve? Whoa, okay. So free throw line, like you just, I think naturally I just kind of expect, like if a guy shoots 65% from the free throw line, I think he sh- he's going to improve into the low 70s. Like I think guys improve marginally. When it comes to projecting three-point improvement, I mean, the higher the free throw percentage is, the more likely to me that they're going to improve um, from downtown. So Killian Hayes is like the perfect example, right? To kind of answer your second question as well, do you have a favorite prospect you expect to improve? Killian Hayes has consistently shot over 85% from the free throw line, but he struggled from downtown in the last two years. So you, he clearly has natural touch. Um, and then you just have to kind of like look at his stroke and say like, is there something wrong? Like, why is he shooting poorly from downtown? I think as he kind of gets stronger, maybe a little power from his lower body um, and just more shot-making confidence over the years. Like, I expect kind of the same way De'Aaron Fox. Like, De'Aaron Fox shot well from the free-throw line, um, did not shoot well from three at Kentucky. Um, but you just kind of – the stroke looked good enough using the eye test. The numbers looked good enough as he got closer to the rim. You just expect over time that the range will eventually catch up. And I'm kind of projecting the same thing with Killian Hayes, who's at 17 years old, shot 85% from the free-throw line. Um, and was like 14 of 80 from downtown. This past year, he shot over 85% from the free throw line, killing his at 18 years old, um, and shot 28% from downtown. Uh, looking, he, his shot looks fine. Like, and I expect eventually, maybe a, after a couple of years in the league, he's going to be somebody who shoots you know, 35 36% from downtown, 37%, maybe not in high volume. But I have pretty confidence just looking at Killian Hayes' shot, his free throw numbers, that he has a workable shot, he has the touch, and that over time, it's just going to, it's all a matter of time, just whether it translates to making more shots further away from the basket. Um, interesting question with finishing at the rim. Finishing at the rim, I think, plays such a big role. First of all, when you're, when you're projecting it, like, it depends on how many guys the, the player played in college. So, like, um, for example, Colin Sexton shot poorly at the rim his freshman year of college. Had he stayed in college three, had he been drafted after three years of college, I bet you he would have left college and one of his strengths on the scouting report would have been finishing at the rim. But instead he left college after one year and one of the weaknesses on Colin Sexton's scouting report was finishing at the rim. However, now finishing at the rim is one of his strengths. I think freshman year of college, it takes an adjustment. I also think spacing is much worse um, for an 18 year old in college. Like Cole Anthony shot terribly at the rim this year, like really, really bad. But I bet you Cole Anthony shoots much better at the rim next season with better spacing. I don't think it was so much about ability and touch as it was about having to force the issue so many times. I think he'll have more space to do it. I think he'll be able to pick his spots easier next year. Um, Donovan Mitchell also shot poorly at the rim his second year at Louisville when he was carrying a huge workload. I think his rookie year, he shot like unbelievably well at the rim. Um, so I think, again, it's using eye test. It's showing like some guys are capable of making high-level finishes. It's more about can they figure out when to pick their spots better? Are they going to have better spacing 
for their driving lanes. Like going back to Cole Anthony, Cole had some like really impressive acrobatic finishes that showed his ability to hang in the air. It showed his coordination on some reverses. Showed his offhand with some lefty finishes. But he shot like 38% around the basket this year. So he cl- he clearly has the ability to get those finishes. Now it's just like picking his spots of when to drive and uh, and when to use a floater and when to take a step left versus you know go straight at the guy. And with more spacing, it might be easier to make those decisions. So yeah, I think your particular lineup uh, makes it either harder or easier to finish. But a lot of these guys um, can shoot poorly at the rim in college, but better at the rim in the NBA. We'll close off with a question from my boy, Corey Sands. What up, Sands? Which unheralded rookie will have the biggest impact next season? I mean, it depends on where these guys go. Like, you know, some of these guys need an opportunity to to have that impact. Um, so it's tough to answer now with any real confidence. But guys, to me, that I think can be NBA-ready who are not going to go high in the draft, Malachi Flynn from San Diego State, um, big-time analytics winner, like led the nation in BPM and win shares. Um, not very athletic, not very strong. He's not going to go very high in the draft, probably somewhere in the 21 to 40 range. But he's NBA-ready to me. I mean, he's a, like a good backup point guard next season. Um, who else? I mean, Aaron Naismith from Vanderbilt could come in right away and start knocking down threes. Like, if he goes to a good team and they say to him, okay, Naismith, your job is to run off screens, spot up, and just drill threes. I think he could do that right away for a good team. And he might be, he might be one of those guys who goes in that, like, 16 to 24 range to a playoff team. So he's somebody to watch out for. And Kansas, Devon Dotson. I think Dawson's probably going to go somewhere in the 25 to 35 range. That's usually where those like guys who project as backup point guards go. Um, and I think Dawson's another guy who is going to be end up undervalued in this draft. Uh, I think he has a high floor. Guy can come in and put pressure on defenses by attacking his speed, super quick off the dribble, gets to the rim a ton, a lot more than Trey Jones got to the rim. Um, and uh, and Dawson's a, a crafty finisher, a crafty passer, a Really pesky defender. And I think uh, as long as he makes another jump with his jump shot, he's going to be somebody that a team can play right away and give him enough at both ends of the floor um, and really surprise some people with how NBA-ready he is. So, yeah, Dawson is another guy who I think has um, some steel potential uh, tied to him. That'll do it for this week's episode, uh, Mailbag. Appreciate all the questions. I appreciate you guys listening. Feel free to send me any more questions that I can answer, whether it's on Twitter, email, podcast, um, any thoughts you might have on the podcast in general. Um, I'm open. NBA Draft Was. And uh, tune in again next week. We will have a new guest.